0: Thank you for joining New Life Fellowship podcast today. We are a church desiring to expand the kingdom of God by making disciples. We pray that this message inspires you, build your faith, and hope that it will give you perspective to see that our God is moving in your life. Hope you enjoyed the message. You know, our nation is filled with a lot of turmoil right now. Um, Not only do we have a global pandemic on our hands, but we are also in a a nation filled with hatred and vitriol. And in light of everything happening in our nation, I think it's so providential that today we get to study this passage about forgiveness. Because here's the thing, hate begets more hate, violence begets more violence, and yet the scriptures tell us that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And I believe in the midst of this hateful world, we the church can really lead the way in this by actually being a forgiving church. We have an opportunity to lead with compassion. And so I'm really excited to dive into our passage for today. If you have your Bibles, would you open up with me to Matthew chapter 18? And we're going to be looking uh, between the verses of 21 all the way up until 35. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Um, But if not, you can just look on the screens there and it'll be right up there for you. I'll read the passage. I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, And if you could say, thanks be to God. Afterwards, I'll seat you uh um and then uh we can go along with our sermon but if at this time if you're able would you rise as we read god's word together this is the reading of god's word then peter came up and said to him lord how often will my brother sin against me and i forgive him as many as seven times jesus said to him i do not say to you seven times but 77 times When his fellow servants saw that he, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have help, had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we pray, God, that this difficult message, God, that we have prepared, that the Holy Spirit would open up our eyes, open up our hearts to really hear and listen. Lord, may we wrestle with this text today. Lord, this text has many hard things for us to learn, but God, we pray that you would be with us, opening up our hearts, softening our hearts. May we have a heart of humility and not pride. Lord, may you teach us now. May we learn and submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, today we have three points as we normally do. And our first point is the difficulty of forgiveness. It's the difficulty of forgiveness. Our second point will be the benefits of forgiveness. And finally, our third point will be the act of forgiveness. So let's go ahead and dive into our first point of the difficulty of forgiveness. You know, have you ever uh, had one of those moments where you receive the gift from someone, uh, you don't know how much the gift costs, and so you go and you Google the item, the gift, and you end up finding out that it actually costs costs quite a bit of money. And in that moment, you might feel a mix of emotions. You might feel bad that someone would actually sacrifice so much money just for you. uh, And at the same time, you might actually feel special uh, because uh, they loved and appreciated you in that way. And that actually happened to our family very recently. You know, it was my wife's birthday back in May. And uh, my sister-in-law went ahead and got my wife uh, this cooking pot. And I thought, well, it's just a cooking pot. There's nothing a big deal about it. But then I Googled it and I found out that it was a particular type of pot that costed about three dollars to $400. And in that moment, I felt exactly what I said, which is I felt kind of bad. But at the same time, I felt, wow, tremendously special that someone would buy a gift like this for my wife. In fact, this gift turned out to be a lay crusade, for those of you who are into kitchenware, a lay crusade Dutch oven, and it was quite costly. And in that moment, when we realized the cost of that item, we were actually filled with tremendous amounts of gratitude. And I'm talking about this today because this is what I believe to be the point of our parable today. The point of the parable today is to remind you just how large the gift Christ actually gave to us when he died on that cross and to see once again just how good and gracious and kind and loving our Savior really is because I think as Christians oftentimes we actually forget the price tag of what Jesus paid for us and it's time often now and again that we have to Google that price, search that price once again and remind ourselves of how costly that gift really is. See, as I mentioned before, this passage is quite providential. I could have not chosen a better passage for us. And the reason why is because there are stark parallels between Jesus' day and actually our day. And this uh, parallel can really be summarized in two words. And that's this. It's Roman occupation. Roman occupation. See, Jesus did not live in a political vacuum. He actually lived in a context where there was a culture and a a political nature about it. See, most Jewish people hated Romans. They hated Rome because Rome was the world power of its day, sort of like America. There was no country or nation that could rival Rome's military might nor their wealth. And yet, in order to become this great nation, it did not only require hard work and ingenuity, it required the active oppression and suppression of different people groups. Roman armies conquered surrounding nations uh, 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 and oppressed them, taxed them for their resources to fuel the great nation that was Rome. And historically speaking, this is how he became a great nation. It's by actually oppressing certain groups of people. This is what the Babylonians did. This is what Egypt did. This is what Assyria did. This is what the Medes did. This is what the Persians did. This is what the Greeks did. This is what the Romans did. All were massive, massive war powers in their own time. And yet the way they became great was by oppressing others. And the Israelites uh, were oppressed by this great and powerful nation known as Rome. You see in uh, 63 BC, about 100 years before Jesus comes on the scene roughly, Right? Rome marches into Jerusalem, seizes Jerusalem, destroys uh, structures, architecture, and then they also kill, beat, and arrest, and enslave many, many Jews. And this is why Jewish people hated Rome. In fact, Roman soldiers were given authority to use violence to subdue any uprising. And so many Jews saw Roman soldiers use violent force to kill their own people. In fact, to some Jews, they actually crucified on a cross. See, crosses were held sometimes high up on a hill outside of a town so that when people entered, they could see the power of Rome and the violence that you would receive if you were to dare cross Rome. And and again, as I mentioned, Rome wasn't at this for just a few years. As I mentioned, Rome took over Jerusalem in 63 BC. Jesus lived in 30 AD, and so the Romans had occupied Jerusalem for nearly a century. And and for beyond that, Jews had watched Romans destroy their bodies, kill their bodies, burn their bodies, crucify their bodies, and treat them as second-class citizens. For nearly a century, they had watched Roman authorities beat, belittle, and enslave Jewish bodies. And it's in this cultural and political uh, context that Jesus actually enters. And Peter and Jesus have this conversation And look at what Peter asks Jesus in verse 21. Peter asks him this, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? See, most scholars believe that when Jesus says brother here, he doesn't mean just other Christians or Jews, but rather this is a general question about forgiveness. And reason being is because Peter says, against me, and that's what's emphasized. Peter is saying, how many times should I uh, forgive anybody who sins against me personally? Anybody, really. And even if you think this passage is only about Christians, well, then you have to deal with passages like Matthew 5, where Jesus says to love your enemies, to turn the other cheek. And so Peter asks Jesus, how many times should, should we forgive in this context? In other words, how, you know, how many times should I take this stuff? right? And, and for us, when Peter asks about forgiveness, mind you, uh, he doesn't have in mind the small offenses that you and I think about. Like, for example, someone being snarky or passive-aggressive at your work, or something small like your boss giving your promotion to another coworker who's actually lazy but managed to steal your promotion, or, or a friend not inviting you out or excluding you. No, Peter is asking forgiveness in the context of seeing Romans beat, steal, cheat, and murder his own people. This is why Jesus is consistently talking about persecution. Why? Because it's the Romans who are persecuting the Jews and the Christians. And so think about this. When Peter says seven times, should we forgive them seven times? He thinks he's actually being incredibly generous. Because here's the thing. The Jews had concluded that people should only be forgiven three times and not a fourth. Right? And this was based on their reading of the Old Testament. And of course, we know that they misinterpreted these passages. But to give you an example, in the book of Amos, God pronounces all these judgments. And look at what he says. He says, uh, this is in Amos chapter 1, verse 3, For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four I will not revoke the punishment. You see what God's saying there. I'll forgive them three times, but not four. Right, And God actually goes about this. A number of different, in fact, like 10 different nations, he says almost the same thing. Look again at Amos 1, verse 6. For three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And it goes on and on like this. Uh, In addition, if you look at Job chapter 33, verses 29, it says this. Behold, God does all these things, right, meaning forgiveness. He does these things like forgiveness twice, three times with a man. Uh, You know, in fact, there was a rabbi, uh, his name was Joseph Ben uh, Hanina, who said this he who begs forgiveness from his neighbor must not do so more than three times or look at what rabbi ben jehuda who also says this if a man commits an offense once they forgive him if he commits an offense the second time they forgive him if he commits an offense the third time they forgive him the fourth they do not forgive him so then here comes peter peter's like seven times that's a lot He thinks he's going beyond this tradition. He thinks he's going to be commended by Jesus for giving such a generous answer because Jesus is forgiving. And yet look at what Jesus responds to him in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, right? It says, uh, you know, we don't actually know if the Greek says 70 times seven or 77. The Greek is kind of unclear there, but here's the point. It doesn't matter if it's 77 or 490. Jesus is saying, He's making a number so large that he's saying, look, your forgiveness should be unending. It should be infinite. It should be infinite. Forgive my enemies an infinite number of times. Forgive the Romans an infinite number of times. What? That's, that's crazy. That's ludicrous. That's, that's insanity. Look at what C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity. He says this, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And then look what he goes on to say. And then to mention the subject at all is to be greeted with howls of anger. Here's what C.S. Lewis is saying. Beautiful idea of forgiveness. Oh, I love it. But to anyone who's been severely wrong, you know the difficulty and in fact, the controversial nature of forgiveness. When you see a police officer kneel down on a man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, you know the controversial and difficult nature of forgiveness. If you are a family member of the man who had his throat kneeled upon and called out for his mother with his last breath, you must know the difficult and controversial nature of this command to forgive. If you are somebody of the same community or even somebody who has compassion upon this man, George Floyd, you know how hard it is to forgive. And yet, do you see why the Jews thought three times was more than enough? Because even forgiving once is hard. And yet Jesus says, no, not three, not seven. He says, infinity. Do you see how difficult the command Jesus has placed before us? Do you know why Jews ended up hating Jesus? Jesus. It's because they thought he was a Roman sympathizer. Why is it that Jesus had upwards of 15,000 people following him at one time? And then when he died on a cross, guess how many were found there? The Gospel of Mark tells us zero. All of his disciples abandoned him. Because when you decide to forgive your enemies, people will believe that you support the work of your enemy. Jesus' desire to love and forgive his enemies was perceived by others as supporting and condoning the work of Rome. And of course, this is not true. Look, think back to Jesus' ministry. Look, think about, do you remember that story of the Pharisees? They're trying to trap Jesus in Matthew 22, just four chapters later after this passage. And they say something to him like this. They're like, hey, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And you see, the reason why that's a trap, because if Jesus says, hey, pay taxes to Caesar, that means he truly is a Roman sympathizer. But if he says, don't pay taxes to Caesar, then, well, he's against Rome. Rome, go kill him. This is why when Jesus heals the Roman centurion, or the Roman centurion's servant. That's controversial. It's like healing the chief of police's daughter or servant. Look, this is controversial when Jesus is dying on a cross and he tells his father to forgive the Romans for crucifying him because he says they don't know what they're doing. Look, and yet this difficult, difficult, and as difficult as his command, this should not cause us to hate Jesus more, but actually should cause us to worship Jesus all the more. Let me explain. Um, Let me tell you a quick illustration, I'll explain how this illustration comes all the way through. But, you know, I I remember uh, going to the gym once and I remember seeing this guy, really skinny guy, he was probably at the most 175, 175 pounds, but uh, he had put uh, 500 pounds on this bar and basically he began to do deadlifts with this 500 pounds. And he did it quite easily, he did it maybe once or twice, but he did it quite easily. And if you don't know what a deadlift is, just when you pick up a bar from the ground and you lift it up like this. He did 500 pounds. And so I looked at that and I was like, wow, maybe 500 pounds is easy to do. And so guess what? After he left, I went over and I tried to do 500 pounds myself. And guess what happened? I almost nearly hurt my back. I tried to lift up the 500 pounds. I couldn't do it. And then I tried to lessen the weight. I tried to put only 400 on it. Then I tried to do 400 and I couldn't do it. And then... I lessened it down to 300. And then finally I could do one struggling, almost nearly passed out at 300 pounds. And after that, I, after that experience, the difficulty of lifting 300 pounds made me realize, holy smokes, that other guy was ridiculously strong. You see, the difficulty of this command to forgive an infinite number of times should actually stop you dead in your tracks and make you realize just how gracious and compassionate our God is. Because based on this parable here, Jesus says that your forgiveness, my forgiveness to other people, even if you forgive an infinity amount of times in your lifetime, would equate to a man owing another man 100 denarii. But the sins you and I have committed against God and the amount you and I owe him are like a man who owes a king 10,000 talents. Do you know how many denarii go into a talent? 6,000 denarii go into one talent. In addition, when Jesus says 10,000 talents, he's using this Greek word myria, which is where we get the word for myriad. And what Jesus is basically doing is, is 10,000 was the largest single number Greek, a Greek could express, and the talent was the largest unit of currency. Thus, what Jesus is really saying is he's, he's kind of just making up this humongous number by saying, look, like he owed the king a zillion dollars. He's just naming the highest thing he can. Look what uh, Craig S. Keener, he's a biblical scholar. Uh, he says this, the parable emphasizes that no one can offend our moral sensibilities As much as everyone offends the moral sensibilities of a perfect God, the parable accordingly underlines the magnitude of God's forgiveness. Of God's forgiveness. Look, let me put it like this. Jesus, by telling you this parable, is not saying to minimize the offense. He's saying in order for for you to forgive, feel the full weight of the offense. Because as you feel the full weight of the offense, what you'll come to realize is just how much God actually loves and forgives you. Look, 100 denarii in that day was a lot of money. It was. It's a hefty sum. Just just to give you an example, a a denarii represented a day's wage, and so 100 days of wages, that's a lot of money. But look, 10,000 talents, 10,000 talents is an infinite number. Look, what if, just hear me out for a second, okay? What if someone says, to Derek Chauvin, who's the police officer who killed George Floyd. I'll take your place. Think about that for a second. What if Derek Chauvin goes to court, he he gets his sentence and he says, the judge says, you're gonna have life in prison. And somebody stands up and says, you know what, Derek Chauvin, I want you to go and live a good life. I want you to buy a home. Here's money, here's my inheritance, here's everything I have. I'll take your place in that prison cell for the rest of your life. Go live a good life. Some of you are welling up in anger, just thinking, entertaining that notion. In fact, I, I was getting riled up just in thinking about that. Trust me, like just insinuating that just gets you so, so angry. And yet, here's the crazy thing. This is what Christ Jesus did for us. He didn't just forgive us. He he took our place. He paid the price. Someone has to pay the bill. And instead of letting us just have our life sentence, and how Jesus said, look, I'll take your place. I'll take your sins. I'll give you my righteousness. I'll bless your life. Do you understand why now we say it's the scandal of the cross? Jesus taking our place is a scandal, it's a controversy. The pure and blameless Son of God who lived eternally, who had no beginning, no end, the God of infinite riches would step down to earth and take our place. And that's just one sin, friends, that's just one sin. Jesus forgave us of all of our sins and the entire world. This is the infinite mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. See the difficulty you have in forgiving not only shows your depravity, but it also highlights just how compassionate, generous, and forgiving Jesus really is. This leads us to our second point the benefits of forgiveness. Look, if forgiveness is so hard, why, why should I forgive? Why should I forgive? If it's so hard, if Jesus forgiven me, why should I forgive? And there's really two subpoints under this one, and I want to highlight them now. The first is because it reveals that you understand the love of Christ, and the second is because it'll free you. But let's tackle this first one, because it reveals that you understand the love of Christ. Look at the end of this parable. Look at what Jesus says in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Look, these are very, very scary words that Jesus is laying on to us here. And Jesus is not saying that you have to forgive in order to be saved, but rather Jesus is saying this. If you aren't a forgiving Christian, you really aren't a forgiven Christian. If you aren't a forgiving Christian, you're, you really aren't a forgiven Christian. Look, what makes my son my son? What makes Josiah or Ezekiel my sons? It's my genetic code in them. And Jesus is saying this, look, my genetic code is made up of this thing called forgiveness. And if you are saying that you're my child, you should have this thing called forgiveness pulsing through your spiritual veins. And so if you don't have this pulsing through your spiritual veins, are you really my child? Look, you know you're saved by if you have the ability to forgive. If you are unable to forgive, Jesus is saying, look, check your spiritual blood again, because maybe you're not my child. You don't look like me. You don't have my DNA. You don't have to think that's flowing through my blood. And I know these are hard words to hear, but this is what Jesus wants us to hear today. You know, this week, uh, my wife approached me and she told me about the story of this woman named Megan Amron. And Megan Amron is a writer for the hit TV show, A Good Place. She's also written for shows like Parks and Recreation. And what happened was somebody found old tweets of her from about 10 years ago, where she said incredibly racist things on Twitter. She said things about Jews and about Asian Americans that were that are just not worth repeating here uh, and, and I encourage you do not google her tweets because they're just infuriating I read those tweets and I was enraged and I felt so much anger in my bones even though she wrote this long uh, heartfelt apology I wanted her fired from her job I wish she would never work for Hollywood ever again I wanted her canceled. I I wanted her punished for her words. I read through all the comments on the tweets and I saw how many people felt the same way and it just fed my anger. And I was so bitter and so hateful inside. People wanted her fired. People wanted her life destroyed and ruined. And I felt so much satisfaction reading those hateful comments. And then, literally, I kid you not, I went to go write this sermon. And I was convicted in my heart. And then I read this tweet from a guy named Kevin Burgess, who's—he's a, he's a black Christian hip-hop artist. He's also known as KB. And listen to what he, he, he says. He started a clothing company, and he's just devoted his whole life to Jesus. And he tweets this: "This is the church. We will rebuke you when you are wrong. We will forgive you when you repent. But we will not cancel you when you are down. For Christ will not cancel us. Cancel culture is not kingdom culture." We don't just applaud the righteous, we restore the fallen. And this is exactly what our passage is telling us today. Look, doesn't it seem like racism is the unforgivable sin in our culture right now? In fact, in America right now, the worst sin is to be a racist cop who kills a black man by sitting on his throat. And yet, Jesus says if you can't forgive racism, have you been forgiven in the first place? you know what I find ab- to find absolutely crazy? When people think about the freeing of the, black, of, of the slaves, when people think about Jim Crow and the civil rights movement, when people think about pro- police brutality and Black Lives Matter, most people think protests. But do you know what most people actually forget? They forget what the black church has been doing for centuries, literally for centuries. And you know what they've been doing for centuries? Is they've been forgiving. I want you to listen to what one BBC article uh, writer wrote. He said, frequently, African-American communities have responded to terror by expressing compassion and forgiveness to the perpetrators of terror and have often invoked their Christian faith as the ideological foundation for their acts of forgiveness. Following the attack on Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, by Dylan Roof on 17 June 2015, that killed nine African-American prisoners. The family members of the victims also told Ruth that they forgave him. Ruth has never admitted any remorse for his killings. It's the, pla- it's the black church that, that's called on its congregation members to forgive their white slave owners. Even though they were used and abused and even lynched and killed, it's the black church that has consistently forgiven America even though they were separate and yet unequal. It's the black church that consistently called their members to forgive America for their redlining practices. It's the black church that forgave Dylan Roof. Dylan Roof came into a black church in Charleston, South Carolina, shot it up, nine, nine people dead, cold blooded killing. Never had a single ounce of repentance, and this church came right out and forgave him. It's the black church that forgave Amber Geiger. Do you remember this? Do you remember this? On September 6, 2018, one of the most tragic, horrific things happened. Amber Geiger comes home one day after a long day's work. She's a Dallas police officer. She's 31 years old. She goes into her apartment. She sees a black man there. She gets scared. She shoots, and he shoots him dead, only to find out that she was not in her own apartment. She was actually in his apartment. She had missed the the, the apartment. And she killed this man, cold-blooded, in his own home. And yet what's crazier is that at his trial, at his trial, his name was Botham Jean. His brother, Brant Jean, was on the stand, was on the stand at the end of her trial after she had been sentenced 10 years to prison. And her brother, Brant Jean, basically comes out and says, I love you, I forgive you, and I wish that nothing bad would happen to you. And he says, I wish you would come to know the loving, the loving nature of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. And he preaches the gospel to her. And then the judge, who was a black woman, came down and also forgave her and hugged her and gave her a Bible and preached the gospel to her. The black church in America has actually been forgiving an infinity number of times and they've been showing themselves. They've been showing to the world that their hearts have been made alive by the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Your forgiveness will actually show that Christ's forgiveness is really alive in your hearts. Look, here's a second benefit. second benefit is that you will be free. You will be free. Look at verse 34. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. There's an irony to this story. The servant imprisons the man who owed him 100 nanari, but ends up himself imprisoned the king ends up finding out that this man did not forgive his own servant and so then goes back and imprisons him in jail. And what Jesus is telling us here is that unforgiveness doesn't simply punish the other. It actually imprisons you in a world of suffering. Let me say that again. What Jesus is telling us here is that unforgiveness doesn't simply punish the other. It actually imprisons you in a world of suffering. Your lack of forgiveness will not only imprison you, Uh, will not only imprison the other, but it will will imprison you. It will not give you any freedom. Look, instead of releasing our anger, we hold on to our anger. In fact, we are addicted to our anger. You know, there's something strange about anger, and I remember uh, listening to this podcast called The Daily, and they had an episode uh, called The Business of Outrage. The Daily is the New York Times daily podcast where they talk about a certain news story, but one of the podcasts a few years ago was called The Business of Outrage, And in the podcast, they detailed a news organization called Mad World News. And Mad World News is a very strange organization. It started in the basement of these two people in some random home in Kentucky. And this news organization became one of the hottest trending news sites for a while. And the way in which they gained readership was by through this simple philosophy. And this is what they say, and I quote, okay. This is what the owners had said, okay. The more angry the news the more people will read they interviewed the owners and they said the more angry the news article the more people they will read and they go on to say this people want to read angry news articles people think they don't want to be angry but they do they made somewhere between 100,000 to 200,000 in a single month because of the outrage of anger People want to hold on to their anger. Although it's painful, although there's tremendous amounts of suffering when you hold on to anger, on another level, it's quite enjoyable for a person to be angry. And you and I love it. We love talking smack about others. We love gossiping and tearing people down. We love venting when in reality, we're just simply trashing the other person behind their back. We love stewing in our anger over others. You know, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they did this. In fact, we, we stew and meditate over our anger for other people more than we actually stew over the words of God. And yet here's the thing, anger will disintegrate you. We think we're punishing the other person, but we are, what we're actually doing is we're punishing ourselves. Let me give you a really quick example. You know, Jess and I went on vacation to Hawaii once. This was before all the kids. We rented mopeds, and it was a beautiful day. Who would think that you could fight in Hawaii, right? There's just tropical paradise everywhere, and yet guess what? We decided to fight on one of the particular days. We fought the entire day. Why? Because I wanted Jess to ride a moped, and she didn't want to ride a moped. And so we fought, we fought, we fought the entire day. And we wasted the entire day being angry at each other. We wasted the entire day. Even though we were in tropical paradise, we were holding ourselves prisoners because of the hate and the anger that we had for each other that day. Some of you are imprisoned within your own families because you can't forgive your spouse. You can't forgive your roommate. You can't forgive your mom or your dad. You can't forgive your sibling. And so though you're angry at them, you're imprisoning yourself. And this is why you're so miserable in your marriage. This is why you're so miserable at home. This is why you're so miserable living. Because you're so angry all the time. You, you can't forgive. And Jesus is offering you freedom. He says, look, you can be free. Let go and forgive. Look, if you let go and forgive, you end your prison sentence. You'll be free. Pay the debt and let the anger go. So this leads us to our third and final point, the act of forgiveness. The act of forgiveness. How do you forgive? How do we forgive? How do we go about forgiving? And here, there's two things as well under this point. The first thing is this. We have to understand the weight of our sins. We have to understand the weight of our sins. If you look at the story This is, to me, one of the most interesting interactions between the king and the unforgiving servant. The unforgiving servant says this in verse 26. He says, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. You're going to pay back the king 10,000 talents, which is basically an infinite amount of money? He thinks he can repay the king in his lifetime which means that he actually doesn't understand what his debt really is. Let me give you an example. All the taxes collected in Jesus' day from Edomeo, Samaria, and Jerusalem equaled roughly 600 talents. That's all the taxes collected. That's like basically the known world to them. 600 talents. He thinks he can pay back 10,000 talents in his lifetime. See, the servant didn't understand the weight of his debt. He was blind to it. And this is why the unforgiving servant was unable to forgive. He did not understand the deepness of his own debt, and thus he didn't understand the generosity of the king. And thus his heart wasn't filled up with mercy and compassion to forgive his servant. But did you know you're blind to your sins? Because this is not only the nature of sin, but it's also the nature of Satan to hide your sins from you. Right, First Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 8 says this Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know that act of prowling? That's like hiding. That's what they do when they want to kill a prey, they hide. And that's what Satan does, he hides. See, sin and Satan hide themselves. Do you remember the story of Cain and Abel? Right. What does God say? He says, Cain, look, sin is crouching at your door like a, like a lion. It's crouching. It's, it's about to pounce. It's hiding itself. Sin hides itself. And you don't realize the depths of your sin. Look, it, I, I believe it was Tim Keller who said something like this. Greed is an odorless sin, meaning this. No one ever confesses to being Greedy. I remember hearing of a Catholic priest who said in his 30 years of doing confessional booths, he had never heard one person say, come into the confession booth confessing, hey, I'm greedy. He's never heard that. And that's so true. In my, in my limited amount of ministry experiences, I've heard people confess the sin of pride, lust, bitterness, unforgiveness, but never greed. And one of the reasons why is because greed hides itself particularly well. And part of the reason why it hides itself particularly well is because you never feel greedy. Have you ever heard somebody saying, oh, I feel really greedy right now? No, you can feel lust, you can feel anger, you can even feel a sense of pride, but to feel greedy, that's why no one ever thinks they're greedy. You know what sin is like, grief? Racism. You know, no one ever feels racist. It's very rare that you hear someone who looks at someone different, of a different ethnicity or a different religion and just say, oh, I hate you because of your race. No, even if they do hate that person, they'll they'll say it's not about their race. It's about something else about them that makes them so mad. And this is why many well-intentioned people say, I treat everyone the same and I believe you. But that doesn't mean that you still can't commit the act of racism. Look, is it possible? Is it possible that we're racist? Is it possible? That's all I'm asking. I'm not accusing you of racism. I'm not accusing you of anything. But think about it like this let's just say you use Yelp, and, you're, and Yelp gives you, right, you're able to do reviews, and you ask the business owner of, of a particular business, hey, what, what would you give your restaurant on? What would you give your business? And they say, five stars. I, lo- I love my business. And then you look at the Yelp reviews, and they got 3,000 reviews, and out of all the 3,000 reviews, they got two stars out of five and you scroll through the reviews, you find the positive one here and there, but for the most part, they are negative. Would you eat at that restaurant? Would you trust the owner over, th- over the 3,000 reviews? You would trust the reviews, why? Because the owner is biased. And in the same way, the black community has been screaming out and crying out that racism still exists in our country. They are the recipients of it, mind you. And sure, you get a few positive reviews here and there, but the vast majority are telling you racism is alive and well. Look, here's the objection, Eric, are you accusing me of being a racist? No. But the Bible tells you a few things, tells you that sin hides itself. And the Bible also tells you this in Psalm 139, okay? This is what King David says. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is what King David is saying. Search me, God, because sin hides itself, I don't know if I'm being racist. I don't know if I'm lusting. I don't know if I'm greedy. I don't know because sin hides itself. And so God, search me, test me, know me, and then reveal it to me. You should constantly be asking God to reveal your sins to you. And I think what's strange is we as Christians know that lust, we know that greed, we know that pride and hate and every other sin under the sun is still alive and doing very, very well. And yet we think the only sin that's somehow been perfected in our lifetime is racism. We think we're perfect in that area. Look, we, we, we've created laws to make more fair and equitable, this nation more fair and equitable. And here's the thing, just because you create laws doesn't mean you've changed the heart. We legislate against drugs, and yet is addiction over? We legislate against prostitution, doesn't mean lust is gone. We legislate against violence, doesn't mean hate is gone. Right? Does it mean that it's gone? No. Could it be that racism is still alive and very much well, and he's living in our hearts, and he's creeping around her he's hiding himself and this is why the christians should constantly be searching because we don't know how sinful we really are and yet you have to understand the depravity of your sin you have to understand not only the depths of your sin but the width of your sin how far out it goes in your life you are more sinful than you thought and this is a christian doctrine this is found in our bibles friend and so i'm not saying you're racist but i'm saying can you search your hearts can you at least begin there? Search your hearts because sin is deeper than you realize. And here's the second thing now. When you begin to realize the depravity of your weight, you will begin to understand the grace of God all the more. You will begin to understand the grace of God all the more. As you understand the weight of your sin, you will just understand how much grace and mercy Jesus has for you. You know what's crazy, crazy, crazy about this story? When Jesus replies to Peter 77 times, he's actually referring to a story in Genesis 4. In Genesis 4, it tells us about this story about this guy named Lamech. And Lamech is the first polygamist on planet Earth. He marries two women instead of one. He breaks God's command to marry one woman, uh, which is outside of God's design. And in Genesis uh, chapter 4, it tells us that he murders two people. And listen to what Lamech says. says, Okay, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 23 to 24, he says, "Ada and Zillah, that, that's his wives' names. Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. You know what Lamech is saying here? You know what he's doing? He's saying, look, God, you forgave Cain. Because you remember at the end of the Cain and Abel story, God actually, in some sense, forgives Cain by protecting Cain. And what Lamech says is, look, you've shown Cain mercy seven times, you're going to show me infinite grace and mercy. This man presumes upon the grace of God. He presumes upon the forgiveness of God. And even though he presumes upon the grace of God, guess what happens? God still forgives him. And he still gives to him the grace and the mercy, even though he abuses the grace of God. Guess, do you know who Lamech is? Lamech is the father of this man named Noah. And guess what Noah? Noah was righteous in the eyes of God and God saves Noah. He saves the line of Lamech through Noah. (laughs) Noah, he's the father of Noah. And so when Jesus says 77 times, he's saying, look, forgive so much. I've forgiven you so much that you will take advantage of my mercy. You will forgive so much that people will take advantage of your mercy. Jesus forgives us even when we take advantage of his grace. Jesus is so generous in his forgiveness that even when we take his grace for advantage, he still forgives us. How ostentatious of a grace of God is that? That that is how big the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ really is. And what's even crazier about this story is it's the king who has to pay this humongous debt of 10,000 talents. He can't just forgive it and wave it away. Somebody has to pay the debt. And in the same way, somebody had to pay for the debt of our sin. You can't just forgive it. And that payment was made by the blood of Jesus Christ, spilled on Calvary. Jesus Christ gave his life for us and paid that price. He paid the 10,000 talents to forgive us all our horrible and wretched sins. And it's only because of His grace that we are alive and well today. It's only because of His grace and mercy that we will be with the Father forever. And if you are not a Christian here today, you can receive this forgiveness by simply, not by doing all these works and paying Jesus back for all your sins. No, 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 that's impossible. It's simply by believing in the name of Jesus that He was both fully God, fully man, and He came and He died on a cross for your sins. If you want to receive Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, please click on that live prayer button. We would love to begin this journey with you. Please do not delay and click today. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I know this sounds incredibly controversial, Lord, but Lord, this morning we want to lift up all of the police officers who have been hurt who have been killed, whose lives have also been ruined, Lord, because of all that's happening in our nation, Lord. And I know, God, that is so controversial, but Lord, we do pray for them. God, and we ask that your compassion, your mercy and forgiveness would rest upon them. God, we know, God, we know how difficult the nature of forgiveness is. And yet, Lord, we pray that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to let go of our bitterness, to let go of our anger, and to begin releasing our our, our anger. And God, would we begin this process of forgiveness whether our hatred exists with the police officers, whether our hatred exists within our own homes, Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength, give us the knowledge, give us the power, Lord, to truly let go, to forgive, and God, to free ourselves of this burden, God, to hold on to our grudges, to punish others, and to be the judge of all. Lord, would you help us today to be a forgiving church, to extend your kindness, your grace, and your mercy, so that, Lord, we can lead this world in repentance Lord we thank you for this time we pray this on your sons holy and precious name Amen before we end this service in prayer I actually wanted to give you an opportunity to pray you see we just talked about forgiving our enemies and to forgive those who hate us Uh, and of course throughout this sermon as you know the underlying issue here has been police officers and I know that there's a lot of hatred a lot of vitriol towards our police officers and I know as counter to our cultures, this sounds I want us to actually spend the moment to pray for our police officers to pray for their well-being to pray that God would have compassion and that God would actually bless them I want you to extend that prayer to them no matter how difficult it is for you in your hearts I think this is what Jesus would want us to do is to pray for our enemies to forgive them and to love them so let me give you a moment now to pray and then I'll close us out you now rise for the benediction and if you don't know what a benediction is it just means a really good word i know this sermon was probably very difficult for many of you to hear but i want you to leave this place encouraged that the reason why we get to worship the reason why we get to sing the reason why we get to even be here today is not because we did anything right but it's because simply jesus forgave us it's because jesus paid the price for us And let the goodness of Christ really drive you and motivate you to at least begin wrestling with this concept of forgiveness. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But at least let this motivation of Jesus Christ dying for you begin the process of healing in your own heart. Hear now the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore.